Well, God's good. I want you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 11. <clears throat> and we're going to talk about today when love tarries. Love is defined in a lot of different ways, and we think about love, and we associate love with a lot of different things. How people react, how people behave, how people say things, how people look at us, right? My grandkids used to say, Melly, do you love me? And I'd say, of course I love you. And they'd say, well, you're looking at me really funny. <laughs> then I usually say, well, did you do something that I need to look at you real funny? Right? John chapter 11 says, we're going to kind of skip through the chapter. We're going to, verse with five, we're going to start with verse 5, but we're going to skip all the way down through the chapter. Verse 5, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation first, okay? So don't nobody throw apples or... If you're going to throw something at me, throw Skittles. No apples or tomatoes. Verse 5. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now, keep that verse in mind. Now, skip down to verse 17, and then it says, When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Verse 20. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. 21. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Now, verse 34. Where have you put him, he asked. And they told him, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. Now, Joanna Weaver is a writer. Um, she's wrote a lot of books. And one of my favorite books that she has wrote is called The Lazarus Awakening. And it's a study on basically Lazarus and what he has to teach us. But she tells about a Christmas that when she was 12 years old, she, got, she said she got the perfect Christmas. She called it the perfect Christmas ever. When you're looking back at your, your Christmases or your holidays or years or whatever, you probably have a favorite one, and you'll say, oh, I remember when I was this year, and I remember that we did this, or I remember my favorite toy that I got, right? You all have a memory. Now, if y'all get with me, we get done faster. Okay, this is a helicopter landing pad. It's not a 747. It doesn't take a long runway. So get with me and we'll get none, okay? But I have a word. I know I have a word. It is a now word because everything to this point has come together and every song that has been sung goes with my message, okay? So I know it's a now word. It's a word that we need to hear and we need to get a hold of, okay? So Joanna Weaver, she tells about being 12 
and it being her favorite Christmas. And she says the reason it was her favorite Christmas because she got everything that she wanted. And one of the things that she wanted on her Christmas list was a metronome. Now, if you're a musician, you know the importance of this. You also know the fact that it will drive you crazy, right? Okay, she said this was her favorite gift, and she'd been taking piano lessons for six years when she asked for the metronome. And she struggled with timing, and sometimes as musicians, timing can drive you crazy, right, Joel? We know all about that, right? Timing sometimes is just crazy for us. But she remembers getting this metronome, and she took it to the piano. Sorry, driving you crazy, right? I'm trying to get y'all to catch up with me. She went to the piano and she said, Mama, this thing's not working. And so she says, well, I don't know, try it again. So she sat down and played again. She goes, no, Mama, this is not working. So she says, we gotta go to the store where you bought it and we gotta take this thing back. So they went to the store. The people in the store checked out and said, no, it's working fine. So then she took it to her piano teacher and she says, this thing is not working. And the piano teacher, set it down and did it. She says, no, it's working. And she goes, no, this is not working. And the teacher says, the problem is, Joanna, is that you're trying to keep the time and not let the metronome keep the time. The metronome keeps the time. You can't rush it. If you set it on 88, it's going to stay on 88. It's going to beat consistently at 88. If you set it way down here, I can go way down here to, uh, let's say, 176. And you're saying, what does this have to do with this sermon today? Hold on. See, I can make it fast. I can make it slow. This is where God is most of the time, we think. This is where we want him to be. Got it? Are you with me so far? Remember, the title is Love Tarries. Love is not always, God's love is not always, I'm going to get rid of this because I don't want to drive y'all crazy. Love means God loving us enough. Don't be breaking my metronome over there. Give him one simple task, and what does he do? Break my metronome. And then he'll say, I'm sick. We want to hurry God. We want God to do everything our way. And imagine Martha and Mary that day when they send word for Jesus to come. But the scripture says he waits two days. He loves us. He waits. One time my little Bella, she was like two years old, and she was misbehaving in church. And I was keeping her. Her mom and dad were out of town, and she says she was misbehaving and she was about two, and I said, Bella, you've got to be quiet. 
So she sat there for a couple of minutes, and then she started doing the same thing again. I said, Bella, you got to be quiet. Third time, I have to tell her again, she's, and I said, Bella, if you don't listen to Millie this time, I'm going to take you to the nursery. And she says, you take me to the nursery and you leave me? Yes, I'll leave you. Well, that hurt my feelings. We get hurt with God. We get our feelings hurt because we think God is not paying attention. Mary and Martha sends for Jesus to come, and he waits two days. They're having the worst day of their life. They're friend because the scripture says that Jesus loved Lazarus. If he loved Lazarus, and Martha and Mary were always in, that he, he was always in Martha and Mary's home because the scripture says they, they were always preparing food for him, always taking care of him. So if he really loved them, if they really were friends, and he doesn't come when they call, does it seem like love? Seems inconsistent, right? It seems inconsiderate. It seems disconnected, right? Because remember, we're on 176 on the metronome, and he's down on 54 Largo, which means slow. Seems like he's out of Kelter, right? If God is a loving, caring God, then why doesn't he hurry up? Why does he hurry up and do the things that we're asking to? Sometimes when we're in those moments of, of waiting, it's easy for us to plant flowers of doubt in our flower gardens. Doubt can leave us hopeless and helpless, and we all can raise our hands to that, right? Mary and Martha must have surely felt that Jesus was disconnected with them, that they weren't on the same beat with the metronome, because otherwise, if they really had been, Jesus would have come immediately, right? Verse 20 of that chapter says, When Martha heard that Jesus, that Jesus was, was coming, she ran out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. So now in this verse, we have two totally different responses from these sisters. Martha's running out to Jesus to give him a piece of her mind. Mary is staying at home, and she's pouting because she's thinking, I'm not going to go see him. He didn't come when I asked for him to come, and I'm supposed to be his friend. Martha says, I'm going to run and go give him a piece of my mind. Two human responses, right? Y'all stay with me. Martha is the server. She's frustrated because she's thinking, God, here again, you should have come to me. You should have come when we came, when I asked you. Martha was the one that was always cooking and in the kitchen. Mary was the one that was always taking time to sit at Jesus' feet. But now Martha's angry, and she's going to give Jesus a what for of her mind. That's what Mike's mom used to say. I'm going to give him the what for. That meant she was fixing to chew them out. So Martha was about to give Jesus the what for, and Mary is paralyzed now by grief because I thought you loved me, God. I thought you really cared. I thought you were coming to help me, God. 
Lord, I've done everything for you. I have given my life to do things for you, God. I've always done everything that you've asked of me. And this is how you're going to repay. This is how you're going to do it. I ask you to come, God. Martha says, God, we ask you, why didn't you come? And all along, Jesus had a plan. There was a bigger picture than what either one of them see. See, Martha had already been rebuked once by Jesus because she says, God, don't you care that my sister is not in here helping me? Right? Remember the story? So God has to rebuke her. And you would have thought they would have learned a lesson, right? Because Jesus told them, you know, more important things are to do than just being in the kitchen. And yet, in their time of grief, when they feel like God has let them down the most and God has not come on the scene, God is about to do one of the biggest things he's ever done. It's a way bigger picture than what we can see. Now Lazarus has died because Jesus didn't come. Martha hears that Jesus is coming, and so she's running out to him. And the thing that we learn at this point is that when we discover that Jesus is the resting place that our hearts need in the time of testing, see, Everything that comes to the Christian comes because of the filter system, because the scripture says, in him we live and move and have our being. So if in him we live and move and have our being, there is nothing that takes God by surprise. Are y'all with me? Okay. So we have to learn the art of resting. Now, if you're playing with that stupid metronome over there and it's counting out time, and your music has a little rest on it, and you don't do the rest on that, it's going to throw you off on your timing because the metronome has a one, two, three, four, or one, two, three. But if you decide to skip one of the rests, it's going to throw you off on your one, two, three, four. You're saying, she is talking over my head. We like to skip the rests, but the rests are just as important as the beats. They're all important. And what seems like a rest is actually a beat. Okay? God had not forgot about Martha and Lazarus and Mary. He had another part to add to their song. John, look, at, look at this. Um, John chapter 11, verse 21, 22 says, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But, I love that three-letter word. It's important. She's telling her feelings. She's explaining to God, Lord, I'm really upset because if you had been here, I just know my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So listen to what Martha was saying. Lord, I give you the quill of my will. You write the end of my story. Why? Because you do all things well. 
So part of the equation of this is the surrender of our will. And that's probably the hardest thing for us to do because we're stubborn. We think that we know more about God than he knows, right? Okay, let me ask that again. We think we know more about God than he does, right? Of course we do, because why else God tells us them, we say, no, that's wrong, God. You got that wrong. That it can't even be right. God knows all things. We can't argue with his plan. So surrendering our will is one of the hardest things to do. Surrender was the key to Martha's amazing transformation. And it's the key for us too. So one of the things that we learn is the art of waiting. And that's hard because we are totally impatient people. We want God to do everything right now. We put something in the microwave and we put 30 seconds and we sit there and we're tapping our feet and we're hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, right? 30 seconds and we think that's horrible. We're a drive-through society. We drive through and we expect instant order pick up, right? I know y'all. I've been behind y'all in the lines already. We have to learn the art of waiting. So we're not patient people. We want to rush ahead and we want to play the song faster than what God has wrote, intended it to be. We want to play at 176, and he's saying, nope, you're not ready for 176. We've got to stay at 88 till you master 88 yet. Are you with me? Okay. So there are three principles that we can use when we're feeling anxious because when we're waiting, there is an anxious feeling, right? We think, God, are you there? I'll just breathe. God, okay. God, are you here? God, are you sending the answer today? God, 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 right? They're not with me. That's okay. It says right here, if they're not answering, just keep on preaching because it's the right thing to do. So the art of waiting, there are three things that we have to do. First of all, we have to stand still. In Exodus chapter 14, God, uh, Moses is telling the people, uh, they're in a situation where, I mean, all havoc is about to break loose. And he says, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and then you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The King James says, stand still. The NIV says, stand firm. And what does that mean? We stand no matter what we're seeing, no matter what we're feeling, no matter what we're experiencing, no matter what our mind is trying to tell us, no matter what our heart is trying to feel, we stand firm. When you stand firm, you're not waving back and forth. You're not doing this. Okay, God, I'm waiting. I'm standing, but God, you're not answering. That's not standing. That's just being impatient. Then we're to sit still. Ruth 3.18 says, uh, Ruth tells, uh, uh, Naomi tells Ruth, says to sit still, my daughter, until 
thou knows the, how the matter will fall. And this was according, uh, Boaz was trying to work out the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. And so Naomi tells Ruth, sit still. Now, my kids used to be what I call antsy pants. When I tell them to sit still, they would wiggle and wiggle and wiggle. That's not sitting still either. See, there is a difference between standing firm and moving around, sitting still and being wiggly and antsy pants because we're still not waiting on the Lord. We're still not keeping beat with the metronome. God says, this is the speed that I need you to do, and this is where you've got to stay, and we try to get ahead because we don't like it. We want to hurry up the process. Number three, then there's be still. Psalm 46 and 10 says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen, and I will be exalted in the earth. So all three of these positions, stand still, sit still, be still, all of these require waiting, waiting on the Lord. And while we're waiting, we're not wasting time. While we're waiting on God to do the things he needs to do, God is preparing us and our circumstances so that his purposes can be accomplished. Isaiah 40 and 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings of eagles. They shall run. They'll not be weary. They'll walk and they'll not faint. So waiting does have benefits. It says we'll have renewed strength. We'll be able to soar high. We'll be able to run without giving out physically. And I hate to run. I do. I'm allergic to running. I'm sure of it. But he says we can walk and not faint. So look at the benefits that come from waiting. Now, here's one of the myths that we get messed up with. Loving is not associated with what others do for us or the speed with which they do it. You got that? Are y'all thinking? Don't need to say it one more time. Love is not associated with what others do for us and the speed with which they do it. See, Mary and Martha associate Jesus not loving them because he didn't come when they asked him to come. He waits. So what we do, what we learn is that there is the blessing of trouble. John 11 and 15 says, Jesus, this was his reply to him. He says, for your sake, I was glad I was not there. Now, how many of you know that if you're in a bad situation and you thought that was your best friend and you are now in this situation and your best friend didn't come when you thought they were supposed to come and then when they say if you had only come this would not have happened and then their reply is well for your sake I'm glad I was not there you would be saying I thought you was my friend and because you're not my friend I'm not going to talk to you no more so bye 
right? I know y'all too. Mm-hmm, trust me, I know y'all. I've only been here since April, but I already learned y'all. You would not think that that was your friend if that's the way they responded, right? And yet, Jesus tells them when he gets there, I'm glad for your sake that I was not there. So, but then he finishes it because, see, here's what happens too. When we get into our stinking thinking mode and we think, you just said you were glad you were not here. But then we don't even hear the rest of what he had to say. The rest of it was, so that you may believe. So listen to this. Charles Spurgeon was a great writer. This is what he said about John 11 and 15. He says, if you want to ruin your son, never let him know a hardship. When he is a child, carry him around in your arms. When he becomes a youth, still just dandle him. And then when he becomes a man, still dry nurse him, and you'll succeed in producing an errant fool. If you want to prevent his being made useful in the world, then guard him from every kind of trouble. Do not struggle him. Do not suffer him to struggle. Wipe the sweat from his dainty little brow and say, Dear child, thou shalt never have another task so arduous. Pity him when he ought to be punished. Supply all of his wishes. Avert all disappointments. Prevent all troubles. And you will surely tutor him to be a reprobate and to break your heart. But there's more. Don't you like those infomercial commercial things we say? If you order just now, we you can get this for the grand price of $29.99. But if you order this very moment, wait, there's more. We'll throw in this and we'll give you this and we'll give you that. Right? Well, Spurgeon had more to say. He said, if you want your child to be like that, okay, go ahead. But put him where he must work, expose him to difficulties, purposely throw him into peril, and in this way you shall make him a man, and when he comes to do man's work and to bear man's trial, he shall be fit for either. My master does not daintily cradle his children when they ought to run alone. And when they begin to run, he is not always putting out his finger for them to lean on. But he lets them tumble down to the cutting of their knees, because then they will walk more carefully by and by, and then they will learn to stand upright by the strength which faith confers upon them. What's he trying to say? Difficulties make us who we are. There is a purpose in them. Jesus was glad, glad that his disciples were blessed by their trouble, and then he sympathized with them, but then he still does it wisely, and he says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. Hebrews 12 and 11 says, No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening, right? Did you ever love a spanking when you was getting one as a kid? No. It says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there is a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 and 11, he says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. 
But when I grew up, uh uh-oh, I put away childish things. So what are we saying? There's a time in our life when we have to stop thinking like a child and behaving like a child, throwing fits like we did as a child and getting away with it, and we have to begin to use the knowledge that we have. Children want the answers that they want, right? They'll wear you down until you give them the answer that you want, that they want to hear, right? Oh, you're not with me again. Okay, I'm going to make another note. Okay. God's answers are not always the answers that we're looking for, yet God's answers are always good for us. So in Lazarus' case, God's answer was, wait a while. Remember, love tarries. Jesus waits four days that until Lazarus has been dead four days, and then he shows up. Now, part of this was because Jewish custom was that the first three days that anybody died, they believed that the first three days anybody could come back to life. So they would not prepare the body for the ointments and things until after the third day because they wanted the chance of the body to come back to life. But fourth day, when it turned to 12.01 midnight the next day, that began the first minute of the fourth day. And that instantly meant first three days, there was hope. Fourth day, done. No hope. All hope gone. No hope left. So that's where we are most of the time is in the fourth day. We get to that place where we give up hope because we think God has forgotten about us. God has left us. God doesn't care anymore. You have to ask this question. Was it necessary for Joseph to have to wait in a prison cell for two years plus? Yeah. Was it necessary for the Israelites to wander around in the desert for 40 years? Yeah. Was it necessary for Noah to drift out on, a water, out on water in a huge boat and stinky smelling animals for months while the floodwaters were evaporating? Think about it. I cannot see the need of that one. Was it necessary for Sarah and Abraham to wait 25 years after their promise was given to them that they would have a son? Think about it. All of these cases were necessary because God knew what was necessary in each of those cases in order for his purpose and his plan to be fulfilled. So God will always accomplish his work one way or the other. He consistently chooses to accomplish his work through human beings like you and I. Proverbs 19 and 21 says, You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. So what is that saying? God's committed to his plans. He is not insensitive to our pain, but he is committed to his plans because we are his children. Colossians 3 and 12 says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That word again. So then we fast forward to the last verse of the chapter, and we all can say it. Two words, Jesus wept. So he waits, he doesn't come, 
he gets there and then he says, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't here. And then he cries. Three crazy, totally different reactions, right? Three totally different responses. And yet the reason he wept was because he has compassion for us. He has compassion. He says he's moved with the feelings of our infirmities. So it was important. He knew what he had come there to do. He knew ultimately what was going to happen, but it was important for him to first sit down with Mary and Martha and the family and to express his emotions, and he cries. He knew very soon that his friend was going to walk out of that tomb and be fully alive. Yet he takes the time to mourn with the family. So he felt their pain, but his own heart was broken because of his friend. He had lost his best friend. So it shows us his love for us and that he is not measured by that metronome time. He is on time every single time. He waits two days. He stays where he's at two days on purpose. That where, When it says in verse 6, he stayed where he was for the next two days, comes from the Greek word M-E-N-O. And it means he tarried, he endured. It took everything that he could stand and muster up himself as a human being to sit there and not get up and immediately go to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He had to constrain himself. He had to go against how he wanted to go to them because he had to do what his orders had been given to him. God had already given him his orders. So when we understand that it took all that he could stand to stay there two more days before he went to them, we understand how much his love is for us and how deep his love for us. He stayed, he endured because he knew that there was a greater good and that there was a higher plan that had to be birthed. So it speaks to us the urgency of resisting the urge to help God out. We're good at that one. Oh boy. I'm so thankful God hasn't answered some of my prayers because I thought I knew the plan that God had and I had told him many times in prayer how he needed to do that. And had he done it just exactly the way I said it, we would have been in a mess. Thank goodness God didn't answer those prayers because he knew the ultimate plan. Even uh, Jesus' mother tries to get him to... uh, Uh, help out God's timing because he tries to uh, get her to, his mother tries to get him to turn the water into wine and he says, no, not my time's not come yet. He had to do it when God tells him to. And so he refused to be pushed into a miracle by his mother. And even, I mean, it's hard to turn your mother down, right? Right, Josh, right? Moms, I just have this way of saying things, and you just mean, okay, mom. But no, Jesus was not even intimidated by the fact that his mother wanted him to do a miracle before his appointed time. His uh, disciples wanted him to go to Jerusalem when they wanted him to go, but he says, no, I can't do that. I have to go when God tells me to go. So 
he ended up doing both. He ended up doing the miracle, and he ended up going to Jerusalem, but he did it according to the Father's timetable, not his. So he refused to do it according to the demand of the voices around him. Look at verse 14 of chapter 11. It says, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. So when he spoke this, he was declaring two things, his purpose and his love. He wanted the disciples to know that there was much more involved in Lazarus' death than what the disciples could see. He wanted uh, God to be glorified. And so Paul tells us in Romans 5 and 6, he says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for us sinners. So we learned that when we were powerless, he came. When we couldn't see the whole picture, he came. When we couldn't help ourselves, he came. When we were in sin, he came. So the events leading up to the cross didn't happen too soon. The events leading up to the cross didn't happen too late. They were both right time, on time, necessary time. They were a God time. So we have to understand that God is always about his purpose and his love. So Psalms 31 and 15 says, My times are in your hands and deliver me from the hands of my enemies, those who pursue me. The message of that same verse is desperate. I throw myself on you. You are my God. Hour by hour, I place my days in your hand. I am safe from the hands that are out to get me. Warm me, your servant, with a smile. Save me because you love me. Wait. So there's that hourglass. When you turn it over, it seems like it's running out of time, and God hasn't answered, right? But what we have to understand is we can't rush a resurrection. We can't hurry God's timetable. To everything, there is a season, and we have to understand that God is always working for our good. So it may seem like we're walking toward a funeral, but we have to remember what is waiting for us. Four days in the making. Think about this. All hope is gone, but God. Christ is working in you and I that the whole world can see his power. David Ring, everybody know who he is? He's an evangelist that had cerebral palsy. And um, he's become a real powerful communicator. said at first, um, when he, he began to preach, uh, people made fun of him because he did have cerebral palsy. It was hard for him to understand. And people would say, how on earth do you think you're going to preach and people are going to understand you and hear you? And he said, but God told me to do it. So when he was growing up, he said one day he went to school, he came home, and it had been a really hard day. The kids had teased him, and it had just been a really merciful day with him. And he asked his mom, he said, Mom, why, Mama, why did I have to be born this way? And she, his mom was a very wise woman, and she said, she said to her son, why wasn't the best question. She said, asking why is like going to a well with a bucket and coming up empty every time. Instead of why, 
you need to ask, what can I become? Powerful, right? So what that teaches us is that we have to have vision to see beyond the misery so that we can have vision to see the miracle of what we're going to become. Listen to this. Four days from your miracle. I want you to listen now. Four days from your miracle. 96 hours from your awakening. 5,760 minutes from your change. 345,600 seconds from your answer. Seems like an eternity, right? But Paul reminds us, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. So then you have to say, why do perplexing times come? Why do crushing moments come? Why do despairing days happen? Why do we feel abandonment? Why do we have struck down moments? Well, Paul didn't leave us hanging. In the very next verse, he says, we always carry around in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in the body. So he's telling us every circumstance, every event, we can see it as a destroying, a crushing, a totally horrible place, or we can see it as a catalyst for the full manifestation of Christ in our lives. So for Mary and Martha and those around, it was a chance for Jesus to be revealed. It was a chance for him to awaken Lazarus and let him live again. So what we have to do is not get caught up on what is going on around us. We have to see the bigger purpose. Someone once said, and I don't know who said it, but it's a very, someone gets blamed for a lot of things, but this, in this case, someone was smart. They said, when you can't trace God's hand, you can always trust his plan. And that's a powerful statement because the majority of the time we can't see the, the thing that's in front of us. All we see is this that is huge. We can't see the full purpose. That's why David says, Psalm 23, he leads me in paths. My paths are good for me because if I just had an open wide field, what would I do? I'd just go crazy and just start running through the field with no direction, no aim, nothing, right? But the path keeps me on target because I have to go through all of the curves and I have to go through everything as it comes. I can't just jump out in the open field. Lazarus is in the tomb. It seems hopeless. It seems helpless. But God was about to reveal himself to them in the most miraculous way. So today, this is how we're going to end the service. I want our deacons and their wives to come. And I know, okay, it's 11.57. I know you're hungry. I know you think, oh, my stomach's growling. But don't rob yourself of an opportunity. Miss Mary, come. 
You don't rob yourself of an opportunity for God to reveal himself to you in a powerful way. Are you four days into your situation? Or are you four days from your miracle? See, how we look at things determines it too. Am I four days into it? Or am I four days away from my miracle? How do you want to see it today? I know every single one of you have situations today. First of all, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe you've never accepted the Lord for the first time. And you say, I know that I need God more than I need my next breath. I've been trying to keep time in all the wrong directions, in all the wrong ways. And today I want to give my heart to the Lord. I want him to become the Lord of my life. Maybe you've even been a Christian, but yet you've walked away and you've decided to do things that you knew were against the teaching of the word, the teaching of the principles of the Lord, and you say, I need to get back on track. So if you're in either one of those categories, I just want you to stand up and come forward. And if it's hard for you to come forward, then grab the person next to you and say, walk with me. We can be the buddy system today, right? The next part of this altar call is maybe you've been sick a long time. And medically speaking, it may seem like there is no answer. But you could be four days away from your miracle. You could be four days away from God revealing himself. And I don't mean literally four days. You hear what I'm saying? God's timing is different from ours. But you say today, I need a miracle. There are some issues in my health that I can't do this on my own anymore. And I need God. And I believe in the medical field. I am thankful, thankful, thankful for our doctors and our hospitals and the medicine. Don't get me wrong. But there is a but God moment when he heals our bodies and he touches us and he makes us well. So if you have a physical need, I want you to come forward right now for prayer. The next category is maybe you have children that you have prayed for and you say, the, seems like the harder I pray for them, the further away they get. The harder I pray for them, it seems like they just seem to get meaner. You're four days away from your miracle. You're four days away from your resurrecting. Are you going to give up? Or are you going to take God at His Word? And if that's you, I want you to come forward. The next thing is, maybe it's a financial need. And you say, God, I've done everything I can possibly do. I've paid my tithes. I've done the things that you've asked of me. And God, I need a financial miracle. If you don't do it, God, I, there is no other way. There is no other answer. And if that's you, I don't want to embarrass anybody. Because we've all hit upon places where we need God to help us. I could tell you story after story how God has always came through for us. God's faithful. God's a faithful God to a faithful people. So don't let pride keep you from coming forward for that. The next thing that I want to do is just kind of a general, and it's maybe just saying, God, 
I know that I'm human, and sometimes I let my faith kind of fall. But today, God, you're renewing me. You're giving me strength to believe again that you are the miracle-working God and that you will do the impossible. And God, I just want more of you today. I want to experience you more than I've ever experienced you before. And if that's you, then I want you to come forward. Okay? I'm going to give you just a moment. God's a faithful God today. And for the rest of you, if you'll just come forward and just help pray for just a moment, I want to challenge you. Just take a few minutes. I know it's lunchtime, and I know that you've got things that you've got to do. But I promise you, if you'll take time for God, God is going to take time for you. And that metronome that you think is slow, God is going to speed up the process because we're finally getting on board with Him. So let's pray.